Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome back, everyone. We are here for another fun episode of Indie Reads Aloud. Today, my friend J.M. Sandlin is back again. And um, I, it makes me crazy calling people by their initials. And so <laughs> he, ha- he has told me I get to call him Jamie. So welcome back, Jamie. Oh, hello. Yes, thank Hi. you. Thank you for having me yet again. I, as many books as you write, you can come back and read to me anytime. All right, I'll keep pumping them out. Just for you. <laughs> Just for me. Just <laughs> so Jamie is a fantasy author based in Canton, Michigan. He is passionate about creating vivid worlds and compelling characters that transport readers to new realms of imagination. Drawing inspiration from his love of storytelling, Jamie spends his free time playing board games, role-playing with friends, and indulging in other hobbies like, you know, martial arts and home repair. Like those are even close to the same thing. When he's not writing, Jamie is often found lost in thought, dreaming up new and exciting stories to share with readers alongside his husband and their cats. So I'm happy to have you back again. Um, Thank you. You just made a new, I mean, you know, let's put the book thing aside for a second, but you just reached a new milestone with your martial arts training, right? Yeah, I did. In November, I tested successfully for master. So I am a fourth degree Taekwondo master. That's spectacular. So you can avert conflict on many different levels. Yes. Yes. And (laughs) and my, I I did a really awkward break for my, for my testing and my elbow is still hurting two months later, but. (laughs) Oh no. Oh well. (laughs) So stop beating up on those poor defenseless bricks. I know. Well, they had a comment. They shouldn't have been bricks. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, today you're going to read from Realms of Tersewood. Tell me a little bit about what this story is. So Realms of Tersewood is my first novel. Uh, came out in fall of 2020. Um, the characters and very, very loose amount of the storyline started probably uh, around the turn of the millennium, uh, around, around 2000. Uh, when I was in college, I was uh, I had taken some old fan fiction I wrote and redid it, you know, stripping out all the, the the stuff that came out of the video games that I based it on. Um, and then back in college, I kind of made it its own thing. And then uh, during the 2020 lockdown, I, I had lots of time on my hand. Uh, <laughs> on my hand, so I was able to strip out pretty much everything except for character names and their relations between each other. Um, and of course, when I'm twice as old, I'm able to create much much richer characters, having more life course, experiences yeah. from. 
Practice, so the, practice the story, makes better, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, um, and also it's as I was preparing uh, what I'm going to be reading here, uh, I realized that I, as an author, have have grown significantly in the last three years. Uh, so uh, not, I still love everything about the characters and the story here, but I realized hmm, I could write this better now. So um, still definitely worth worth checking out the book. But my newer stuff, I realized just it's, it's nice to be able to have that that actual measure of growth. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But also as authors, we have to make sure that we don't get caught in the continuous editing loop. Yes. There, there has to come a time when we put it aside and say, okay, this one's done. Now mm-hmm. we're going to move to the next one and we're not going to go back to that one again. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. My mother is of the mind. Um, hi mom. Uh, that's uh, you, once something is published, it cannot be changed, but see so, you how know, I, if there's like a typo or something, I need to fix that. And, um, if if a if a sentence could be reworked a little bit to make more clarity um, in there, that's not a bad thing. But yes, absolutely, you'll just continue to edit over and over and never stop. You know, in another three years, I'll be that much more advanced. I'm not going to touch this again then. But sure, um, yeah. Well, it, it's like you know, a cat chasing his tail. He's never really going to catch it. <laughs> never going to get there. No. Uh, so, but the story, uh, Realms of Tursewood, is. Uh, is it's an epic sword and sorcery fantasy, uh, number one of a trilogy in four parts. Uh, we see Lone and Alicia are the two main characters. Uh, they are half siblings. Lone is always been kind of the, um, always the, you know, want to be an adventurer. He wants to go out and spend his life you know, delving through dungeons and, and having a fun time. But he gets the, uh, uh, the mantle of, of uh, uh, the kingdom. Put onto his shoulders so the story picks up with his nephew's death or i'm sorry his um, young cousin's death who was the heir to the throne now he is the heir to the throne and um so what i'm what i'll be reading here is him essentially trying to check up on his aunt the queen and see what's going on with her um and hopefully be able to do something to get her back on the throne itself so that he can go back to adventuring okay um, I, I forgot to ask you this question in the green room, but since we're here, um, yeah. are there any listener advisories that our younger audience members should be aware of? Hmm, let me see. Um, there is, there's no, there's no strong language in this part. There is, there is a body that's not, that's just kind of laying there, not doing much if you catch my drift. So right. maybe a slight listener advisory. There's, okay. there's no violence shown here, but you know, yeah, maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea for, for the, the, the parents to give it a listen before letting awesome. a little I always like to warn our listeners just in case. Absolutely. All right. When you are ready, Jamie, please take the microphone and read okay. aloud. Absolutely. So Realms of Tursewood. So to set the scene here, uh, Lone's aunt, Queen Lillen, has not left her chambers since her son died weeks ago, leaving Lone in command of Draken, the nation of mages. Uh, Lone secretly asks the crown's artificer to craft a device that will allow him to quietly check in on his hand. Lone sat at the end of his bed in the room that had not been redecorated since he was a child. An overfilled chest of toy animals was in the corner, and drawings of disproportionate people and castles plastered another wall. The room was kept clean and free of dust, but nothing was out of place from his memory. He fingered the small gray cube Mike had made for him. One side had an indentation, but was otherwise smooth and unremarkable. 
Lone clenched his fist around the cube and looked upward. The ceiling was painted with, fantastic, with a fantastic starscape. The constellations and comets would glow in the darkness. As a child, Lone had imagined he was sleeping under the open air. He remembered laying on the floor with his mother as she told him tales of adventurers traveling between the stars and ships made of iron. She would pull from a pouch of mana crystal to make the stars swim and form constellations of the heroes from her stories. But now Lone imagined beyond that, beyond the stars, was his aunt. The queen's chambers were just above that false sky. Queen Lillen had erected a series of barriers around her room before Liam's death and had enhanced them tenfold since. Being so physically close to her chambers, Lone felt the constant repelling force. There were a dozen other archmages more experienced to do what he was about to attempt, but Lone thought of Eilis and Gale. He had been there to see their faces, see the faces of his two young cousins as they were left in the care of nurses as their grieving mother abandoned them. As far as Lone was aware, the twins had not seen their mother in weeks. Lone stood and walked to the center of the blue woven rug placed before the bed, pressed a finger into the end indent of the small cube in his hand and fed mana into it. Like most magically activated items, he could sense the amount the box needed and was silently shocked by the huge value. Mike had copied Dalen's theories of making objects capable of having larger internal dimensions, and this box felt like a masterpiece of that. But rather than a bag or a tent, this container held a huge amount of mana and a series of single-use spells. Scrying magic was far from his comfort zone. He thought for the last time to stop feeding the cube and ask for the help of General Jaslin, but he had already involved Mike in his plot. He shook his head. The cube continued, or contained the spells needed, like a magic wand or orb. The spells would break through his ant's barriers, and he would only need to watch the results. When the device was nearing full, Lone sat cross-legged in the middle of the rug. He had tried knocking on the door, and no servants had been in her room for weeks. He had to know his aunt was well. The edges of the cube bit into his palm, then into the palm of his hand as he looked to the stars above him. Let's do this. For a moment, Lone, Lone saw himself sitting on the blue rug. His vision turned and rushed to the painted sky, then blackness, but with the impression of movement. The spell was fighting at his, at his aunt's barriers. Slowly, his other senses dimmed, and he no longer felt the feeling of movement. He was weightless in a vast nothing. Lone panicked. He thought of his body laying on the blue rug while his mind was trapped in his aunt's barriers. Mike was the only one that had an idea he was doing this. How many days might, he, might it be until his body was found? How often did a servant enter to clean this room? How long after that would it take to determine that his body was trapped in the ceiling? Or, I'm sorry, his mind was trapped in the ceiling. He was starting to lose hope at the spell's effects when his vision shifted slightly. He saw faintly glowing orange runes as a wall before him, his aunt's barrier. It looked solid, but Lone searched it for some weakness. If his mind would be trapped here forever, may as well learn something about barrier spells. He began to see a pattern, how the series repeated itself like a tile floor. With no means of knowing where the pattern began or ended, he separated two instances of the repeating pattern and imagined himself pulling them slightly apart. His mind erupted into the queen's chambers. Lone had not been in his aunt's suite for years. He remembered how the stone floors and walls had been covered wall to wall, floor to ceiling, with rugs, furs, and colorful tapestries. She always had a fire roaring, making the, warm, the room uncomfortably warm. Now the hearth was cold. The only light came from a shaft of moonlight at the open window. A pile of snow had accumulated on the sill and the floor below it. 
The tapestries were worn and shredded. The rugs and furs were tossed into piles and stained with some dark fluid. The massive four-poster bed was shoved against the wall, and the explore, exposed floor and walls were covered in chalk rooms, likely the source of the magical barriers. Lone saw no sign of his aunts, but there were two other rooms in the apartment, a library and a sitting room. He had assumed his aunt would be in the library, but had chosen not to break in there initially. Going in, going in through the bedroom would have um, had given him a chance to familiarize himself with moving his vision within the scrying spell, and going directly to the Queen's library would have required he be sitting in the room below it. The room below was his parents' room when he was a child, the room in which his mother had died a slow and terrible death. Seeing nothing else of interest, Lone pushed his vision through the door and into the hallway. Two other wooden doors led to the uh, two wooden doors led to the other rooms, while a third led to a stairs to the stairs giving access through the tower. An intense blackness seeped from where the door met stone. More barrier spells. Imagining his physical breath, his physical self taking a deep breath, Lone pushed through the library door. A dozen candles lit the wedge wedge-shaped room. Bookshelves went to the high ceiling, but it looked as though half the books were piled on the floor. The two large red leather chairs were the desk. Behind the desk, scratching at a scroll with a feather quill, sat the queen. Standing to her left was a shadowy figure wearing a dark cloak that covered his face. The figure held a tall white staff in a gloved hand, topped with a black string and four red feathers weaved into it. The queen's raven hair was matted and tangled, covering most of her face as she hunched over her writing. Her usually plump cheeks seemed gaunt and sunken, her hands skeletal and twisted. Lone could not reconcile, reconcile this gnarled creature with the image of his aunt. He edged closer to get a hint of the cloaked stranger's face. Lillian suddenly jerked up from her writing, seeming to look directly at Lone before turning to the stranger. These ruins will work, but the materials will be near impossible to procure. My master was under the impression your success would be essentially guaranteed in this endeavor, the cloaked figure said in a slow and smooth voice. The research required for these runes will have provided, we have provided, came at no small cost. Queen narrowed her emerald eyes at the figure and scoffed. I said nearly impossible, Morna. I will have everything prepared well in advance of our timetable. Finding a sufficient supply of mana is now my only issue, but I may have a solution for that. See to it that you and your master fulfill your roles. The cloaked stranger tapped its white staff on the stone floor and faded his smoke. It was gone. Lone did not recognize that spell effect, but it looked more like dispelling an illusion rather than teleportation. The queen bent over the desk again and resumed scratching with her quill. Lone pushed his vision to better see what she was writing, but hesitated. She was truly frightening. He noticed the crown of Draken, a masterpiece of polished stone art, sitting lopsided on a scroll to the side of the desk. To his knowledge, she never took off the crown. Even as a child, he'd asked to hold it, and his aunt would refuse. He overcame the hesitation, moved to view the mess of papers on the queen's desk. The first six sheets he looked at were written in six different languages, none of which he could read without casting additional spells. The handwriting looked vaguely familiar, but not his aunt's. Queen Lillian stopped her scratching and twitched her gaze toward Lone. She can't see me, right? Lillian dropped her quill and pushed the hair away from her face. The emerald eyes looked dull and tired. She eased back in her chair with a loud sigh. I didn't want it, want you to see me this way, nephew. Something about her eyes. Lone tried to end the spell and found he could not. He was paralyzed. Though if it were anyone, I am glad it was you. 
She raised, raised claw fingers to try to get her hair under some management. I understand you are concerned for me, my love. You are a sweet boy. Please give the twins my kisses and tell them their mommy will be back to see them very soon. I'll be finished in just about three weeks. Lone only had an academic understanding of madness, but could clearly see it in his aunt. She never blinked as, he, as she spoke. I have been busy, as you can see. I am near to understanding the illness that took my Liam. It has taken so many others across the continent. It's the same that took your mother, you know. She was the first. Of course he knew that. Healers and clerics were baffled at her symptoms and all attempts to aid his mother. They had drawn her suffering out to a year without success, since her red bloom had taken hundreds of others. But few victims had the resources to endure and died within a month. The short death was a more merciful one. Red Bloom always killed his victim. Your mother was the sweetest girl. Your grandsire gave your father such a hard time for courting a commoner. But he married her the day after he turned 18. Marrying an older lady, so scandalous. She was four, four days his senior. Liam, Liam Lillian smiled, showing too many teeth. The world itself is sick. Something in what your father did in that final battle against Aimer corrupted the ley lines, darkening, darkening them just a little. I have a plan for removing that darkness, making the realm's mana pure again. No one else will be sick with red bloom again. Queen Lillian shot to her feet and rounded the desk, making her way to the door. Come with me, nephew. She felt his, he felt his vision being pulled along behind her. She opened the door and crossed to the hall, crossed the hall to the sitting room. The door opened to another wedge-shaped room with a low fire burning in the hearth. The furniture had been cleared to the outer walls, except for a single table. Upon the table was what looked like a person laid out and wrapped in white bandages. Your father loved your mother very much. Lillian's gaze was unfocused. Lone tried to move his presence closer to the table with the bandaged form, but found he was again paralyzed by his aunt. We archmages can live forever if we choose to devote the resources to doing so. To marry someone that is not an archmage is to watch them age and die. To marry or consort with, that is. Lillian gasped and frowned. Oh, I am sorry, my dear boy. I, of course, do not disapprove of this thing you have with Bard. You should do what brings you joy in life, so long as you understand that you can outlive him a hundred times over. Lone felt a pang of sadness at the mention of Bard's inevitable death. To have a child means the same, unless he too is an archmage. Your father was lucky, but not so with your half-breed sister. Most archmages have children who grow up to be crystal mages at best. Liam was too young to know his aptitude, but to marry so young and to have a child before he was 20, I think your father wanted to live a single lifetime with your mother. That is love. I do not intend for you to remember any of this, nephew, but I feel I need to show someone. The queen crossed to the table and dragged Lone along. She gently unwrapped a bandage around the figure's head. Although some part of him was expecting it, Lone's body tingled when he saw his dead cousin's face. Lone had attended Liam's pyre. He had seen the shrouded corpse and even had brought one of the torches to the kindling. He remembered the handkerchief his sister had given him. That was now that was now folded neatly in a wooden box on a dresser in his chambers. Queen Lillian gently pressed a hand to her son's sunken cheek. His skin was grayed and his hair gone in patches. She leaned over and kissed the corpse on the forehead. I know he, you have been wondering, why bother curing Red Bloom when it won't bring Liam back? Well, I have a plan for that as well. Don't worry about us up here, my dear nephew. A little while longer and I will know how to fix what my brother did to the world's ley lines and magic and will bring my Liam back. Timing will be critical.
For now, I just need, she turned alone. The dull expression he saw first in the library moments ago was gone as her emerald eyes flared with an internal power. I need you to mind your business. Leave for the north in the morning and see the Jaslyn's ley line. Continue your research into the Shadow Reaver and the Demi Realm. But Liam and I and any visitors I may need to invite, we are not to be disturbed. Spectacular. <laughs> now, do I understand that this is the first book in a series of four? It, it's a it's a trilogy in four parts, but yes, it is. Uh, okay, wait a minute. Go back backwards. Yeah. A trilogy in four parts? Well, yes. So I, I had the, the trilogy, but then when I was... Um, after I had finished uh, the second book and was working on, on the third, I found out that NaNoWriMo exists as a thing. So I gave myself the challenge of, I wonder if I can write like a prequel kind of a book in the month. So I did. And that became Necromancer of Urbis. But it's really book 2.5, not really book or book four of the series. It really requires a lot of the other knowledge. So it's not a true <laughs> prequel. Yeah. So okay. it's a trilogy. But then there's this other book that's that's involved. It's a it's a trilogy plus. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so in this first book, two questions. Who was your favorite character? And who would you not like to meet on the street one day? Oh, um favorite character, like the uh, lone lone kind of was a bit of a self insert, not not entirely, but yeah, that's a very common thing I think for authors to do that self insert. Uh, yeah, so I, I would I would love to meet Lone in person, um, just because he he seems like a cool guy. Um, or his sister Alicia would be would be neat because she um, will later have cosmic powers and and uh, mastery over time itself. So that would be kind of neat to um, to have her be my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, Time mastery but, is always a good plan. But she she's decided that she's not allowed to change anything, so it'd be very frustrating, I would think. Yeah. And then who would I not want to meet on the street would be Kozlant. There was mention of uh, the great grandsire um, in here, so he's the uh, the patriarch of of this family. He's the the first archmage, and he is extremely full of himself. He always thinks that he is. Um, doing everything for the best and he knows right and he's going to do good and it's not so um when if you skip ahead to the necromancer of urbis um podcast that that will you'll you'll see from his uh perspective there awesome yeah he's he's not a good guy (laughs) i'm i'm super excited because we're doing something we haven't done before and that is we're releasing all four of your podcasts in order one after the other so if people want to listen all at one time they can do that but then that means i have more books i have to go buy so (laughs) (laughs) not sorry (laughs) it's it's all right (laughs) thank you so much for starting us off on this first leg of the adventure and i'm looking forward to the next time you come to read Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.